0: Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Good morning. Good morning. Should we we pray? And then we're going to turn together to that passage. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for your word, God, that we've just read. God, thank you for this book we've been spending time in for this last uh, month or so, God. Thank you that you've used it to speak your word to us. And God, I pray that that would be the case again this morning. As we turn to it now, you'd fill us with your spirit and and direct us towards our saviour, Jesus Christ. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Uh, One of the things uh, that I'm discovering that I love about being the parent of a toddler uh, is that I've moved back into a phase of life that I had left behind me uh, that involves building things. It's just good fun. Um, there's some great toys out there in the atrium if you ever find yourself in need of some entertainment. Uh, and lots of to do with building. And we haven't quite yet made it to the, uh, the stage with my daughter Molly. We've not quite made it to the stage yet of kind of Lego and Brio. I'm very excited about Lego and Brio, but we're not there yet. Uh, but what we have uh, reached uh, is playing with things like this. Uh, stacking cups. That's hours of entertainment are, are available in, in a set of stacking cups. And The thing I've realized, I've learned, it's kind of obvious to us maybe, but it turns out it's not so obvious uh, to children at first, is that the trick with stacking cups is that it matters the order that you build your tower in. These are actually uh, made to pretty tight tolerances, and if I was to, I'm not going to because it will fall everywhere and ruin my point, but if I were to skip one of these cups, uh, put one of the smaller ones on first and then try and put a bigger one on top, it, it wouldn't work. No, at best, the smaller one would kind of slip inside the bigger one, and I wouldn't get the impressive tower you're about to see in front of you in just a moment. Uh, but because these are actually designed pretty well, you have to put them together quite closely. Round of applause. Thank you very much. It's very impressive. Me and my toddler can both do this. If I would put them in the wrong order, the tower would fall down. They slot together perfectly. So if you don't start with the base cups and work your way up, uh, you don't get a tower like this that stands. It, it crumbles. You, you need to start with first things. And today, as we come to the end of this uh, letter written by a man called Paul to a church in Thessalonica, uh, Paul has one final encouragement for the church. Here's one last thing that he wants them to to know uh, one last calling for them in in how they are meant to live the life of those who have been called and saved by Jesus Christ. And Paul wants to call the church to to something akin to an act of building. He wants them to take on something for themselves in their lives. He wants them to construct something. Uh, that is right and fitting and and that belongs to every follower of Jesus Christ. And just like with my daughter's stacking cups, we'll see it's important that they start with a strong foundation. The life that Paul calls them to build has to to start with first things and work its way up into a, a life that is expressed in the way that they are called to live their lives. But as we read through this passage, what what we might see confusingly is that Paul actually starts by describing the top of the tower. He's going to work his way down to the foundation, but he actually starts at at the top. And what we see as we read through those verses that Moji just read for us is a life described, a, a construction that we can make that includes, I want to suggest, three things. The church in Thessalonica are invited to a life of outward love of inward faithfulness, and that is to be built on a foundation of upward dependence. That's the tower that Paul is calling the church in Thessalonica, I want to he's calling us to, through God's word, to build. And so we're going to start like Paul at the top and think about what it would look like for us to take on a life of outward love. I don't know if you had the same experience just hearing uh, that passage read just now, but the kind of the first half of the passage seems to read, doesn't it, like a rapid-fire list of kind of top tips for Christian living. Paul moves quickly and gives us lots of things that we are to do in following Jesus. And it starts in verses uh, 14 and 15, particularly with this call to care for one another. He lists, doesn't he, how we should be patient and we should encourage others and we should keep people on track where we can and we should help. He lists these patterns of life that are all to do with outward love. And I'm not going to spend ages on any one of them because I think if you've heard the message of Jesus before and and to some extent if you live in the culture that we've surrounded in, you will have heard this hint, this whisper of, of a life that looks like this, directed outwards. And I don't think any of it is particularly surprising. So instead, what I want to do is focus on on what stands behind this life that Paul calls us to, the principle that underlies it. And we see that in the second half of verse 15, when Paul says this, after this long list he gives, he says, always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Always strive to do what is good. You know, I think when we read a word, particularly perhaps in church contexts, like good, what comes to our mind is often kind of abstract moral principles. Now, how do we do the thing that is in some kind of ethereal plane, the right thing? But uh, that isn't what Paul is talking about here. And that's why some scholars suggest that a better translation would be the word kind. Paul is talking about uh, practical, down-to-earth, concrete things that we can do for one another. And I want to suggest perhaps an even uh, more basic, uh, less radical option, and it's this translation. Paul is effectively saying this, always strive to love each other and everyone else. That's the principle that stands behind what Paul is saying. Always strive to love each other. My favorite definition of, of love is that love is to will the good of another person. To will, to kind of intend and then put your being behind the aim of doing good to someone else. And I think that sums up the idea here well. Because the life that Paul would have us build with outward love as its most visible sign, its pinnacle, is not simply about avoiding doing bad things. It's not about kind of staying out of trouble. It's about actively pursuing the good, actively pursuing love for other people. It's doing for other people what we wish they would do for us if we were in their position. And I want to suggest that the reason I'm not going to unpack Paul's list is that we know what this looks like because we feel it when we receive it. And we kind of intuit it when we look on the life of someone else and we ask, how could I love them well? You know, my family and, and I, have we've felt this kind of love uh, as part of this church we have been the beneficiaries of outward love and I could give you lots of examples of that but let me just give you a few and when my daughter Molly was born our small group uh, fed us for weeks they delivered meals and we didn't have to do any cooking for at least a couple of weeks Uh, one of you here in this room uh, lovingly found and restored some toy cars for her uh, particularly based on the initials of her name Several of you have bought or made her clothing uh, and shoes. Several more have given her gifts and toys that she loves playing with, and we treasure uh, the joy that she gets from the gifts you have given her. We've experienced the outward love that Christ calls us all to in this community many times. But do you know what? In many ways, the ways that you have done that are not dramatic. I couldn't really write a book about you cooking me some meals I mean it was lovely but it's nothing unusual it's just very practical and ordinary and simple but profound love and kindness and goodness and that's the life to which Paul calls the church in Thessalonica and us to show love to all people And so as we come to the end of this letter and Paul instructs us on how we can build a life of people who follow Jesus, let me first ask you, who can you love in the days and weeks ahead as you seek to follow Jesus? Where can you sow the seeds of goodness and kindness in somebody's life? What are some simple and practical and undramatic steps you can take tomorrow with a family member or a colleague or a friend from school that will just simply but beautifully show them that they are loved. Because that's the pinnacle of this Jesus-shaped life that Paul would have us build. Who can you love? We're to build lives of outwards love the next thing that that is built on in Paul's vision in these last verses is inward faithfulness. Called to build a life of inward faithfulness. And here we move down to the next few verses. We're going to particularly zoom in on uh, verses 16 through 18. It says this. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all Circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Always, continually, in all circumstances. I just, I thanks, Paul. That's great. I mean, it's just, it seems like an impossible ask, doesn't it? I mean, let's, can we just be honest for a moment? Sometimes I'm grumpy, sometimes I'm busy with other things. I mean, quite frankly, sometimes I'm asleep. Uh, And doing these things at all times, uh, not as often as I'd like to be, by the way, that's another thing about having a toddler, but uh, doing these things at all times is a seemingly impossible ask. How on earth are we to do it? Well, the first thing is we come to a verse like this. I wonder if this is one of those verses in the Bible that causes Christians more stress than any other. When we come to a verse like this in the Bible, we have to remember that Paul, who wrote this, and, and I mean quite frankly, Jesus, uh, the Son of God who inspired it, uh, Paul was a human being. He was like you and, and me. You know He hadn't tapped into some other level of consciousness that made this possible for him. He wasn't unrealistic. He knows that if we were to read this on face value and try to have the words of prayer always on our lips, that it would be an impossible ask. So he couldn't have meant that. So what does he mean? Well, I don't think he's saying that we always have to be having a party about the things that are happening to us. We don't have to always be reciting the Lord's prayer. Instead, what I think he's talking about is our posture. He's talking about the attitude of our hearts. He's talking about the bent of our souls. He's asking, what direction does your life naturally trend? Now, I remember when I was in, I can't remember if it was GCSE or A level, I was in biology, we had this experiment we had to do uh, where we had to uh, survey our class and see if they were left leg or right leg dominant. Have you ever done this experiment? It turns out what you do, I was going to get one of you up here to illustrate this, but if it went wrong, it would have gone really wrong. Because what you do is you get someone to stand in front of you, looking away, and then just without warning, you push them forward. And hopefully what they do is step forward and catch themselves. And when someone does that, when you're caught by surprise, someone pushes you from behind, whichever leg you naturally step forward onto is your dominant leg. So we had to go around shoving our friends around for science uh, in order to discover which uh, foot was their dominant foot. And and I want to suggest that Paul is thinking about a similar idea here. He's saying that our dominant leg should be uh, the leg of prayer of trust in God rather than the dominant leg of despair and self-reliance. He's saying that when we get shoved from behind uh, by surprise, by the hardships and, and struggles of life, and the church in Thessalonica knew all about, we've been learning this over the last few weeks, they knew all about the hardships of life. When we get shoved from behind, the leg that leads us forward should be trust in God. When the opportunity to love someone is placed in front of us, what naturally should come out of us is a life that is founded on Jesus, a life bearing the fruit of the Spirit, a life of joy based in communion with God. He's not saying we should always have the words of prayer on our lip, but he's saying that should be the direction that our lives travel. As we think about making that sort of life, I find another image helpful, and it's the image of muscle memory. So, I don't know if you are a particularly fast typist, You've learned how to touch type, or you've just, uh, over the years, learned how to do it really quickly. If you can type really quickly, uh, you'll, if your experience is anything like mine, you'll know that you don't have to kind of consciously think about typing, do you? You've learned over years and over practice, and maybe you've been in a class that's taught you how to do it, and after repetition, an intentional practice, eventually typing quickly just comes to you naturally. You don't think about it. Your muscle just uh, remembers how to do it. And so as we think about how, how do we direct our lives so that when we're pushed from behind, what we stumble forward into is this sort of faithfulness, this trust in God. It, I want to suggest that it's somewhat similar. It's through the intentional repetition And practice alongside others who are learning to do the same thing uh, of trust in God and prayerfulness and thankfulness in all circumstances. It's through practicing those things intentionally together that we learn to direct our lives in that direction. You know, we we call that sort of practice and community the church. That's why we're here. We're learning to live like Jesus so that a life of faithfulness and trust and dependence and thankfulness becomes the automatic muscle memory of our souls and hearts and minds. And we're trying to do that intentionally and consciously so that when we get shoved from behind, it comes out naturally. So as we think about building a life that that has as an essential part of its structure, inward faithfulness, my question for you, is that your vision for why you're here? Is your vision that together with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you might here take on the pattern and lifestyle of Jesus? Have you settled in your vision for what church is for something less, something to be consumed, something just to be ticked off? And then moved on from. We are here to build a life of inward faithfulness. So that what is expressed in our lives is outward love. But all of this is built on a foundation. Without which this whole tower would come crumbling down. And it's the foundation of upward dependence. And we come to that in verses 23 and 24. Because we see there, don't we, that Paul lands this letter, his final encouragement in prayer. His last, his crescendo, the last thing he wants to do is to ask that God would complete this building project in the lives of the church in Thessalonica, in our lives too. Because if we're going to be a people of outward love and inward love, Faithfulness, if we're going to, as Paul says in these last few verses, be sanctified, have our lives transformed so that we look more like Jesus, then we're going to need God's transforming power at work in us and through us by his Holy Spirit in order to see that happen. You know, it's all well and good for me to stand up and talk about a life of outward love and inward faithfulness, isn't it? And I, as I do that, I don't think any of you are going to say, I don't, John, I don't think that's it. I want to be outwardly horrible. And if at all, if you can make it happen, I want to be undependable. I mean, that's not what we're here for. We want this sort of life. But the problem is we can't just do it. Some of you, some of us have probably been trying for a long time. We need a foundation. We need God to come and do something in us, in our hearts, to transform us, to make us look more like Jesus. And Paul has got good news Because after his prayer, he lands in the most beautiful verse, verse 24. And Paul says this, this is his confidence. He says that the one who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. Brothers and sisters, the one who calls you is faithful. You know, in the Christian life, as we try to build something that looks like Jesus, it's not our effort that matters most. It's the one towards whom our effort is directed. It's not how well we ask that's important. It's the one that we're asking. It's not even our choice to ask which makes the difference. It's the one who calls us that matters. And Paul reminds us that the one that we ask and the one who calls us, the one that we would direct our lives towards is faithful. He can be depended on and trusted to see this building project through to the end because he's loving and he's faithful and he's dependable and he's called you. The one who calls us Jesus Christ has built this life himself before. He is our model and our guide for a life of true love and true faithfulness and true dependence on the Father. And so having gone there ahead of us, we can trust his faithfulness to lead us there himself. And by his spirit at work within us to give us all we need to make this life our own. This is the foundation of the life that Paul would have us build. It's Jesus, the one who calls you, is faithful. The one who was and is and will be has gone before you and gives you the power of his presence to go where he has gone. And he is faithful and loving and dependable. And his desire is that you might build a life that looks like his And represents him in the world for his glory. Jesus himself would have us build lives of outward love and inward faithfulness and upward dependence. Because it's the life that he lived for us and calls us into. And so, as you go into the week, I'm going to leave you with the challenge of outward love and inward faithfulness. But as I land now, why don't we just start with a foundation cup? As we start to build this, foundation cup is not an expression, but as we start to build this tower, why don't we start with upward dependence of leaning on the God who would do this for us and in us? So can I pray, can I pray that God uh, would make such a life out of each of our lives, uh, that the world would see our risen Savior? So why don't we stand and I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Lord God, we long to be a people who love well. God, who as our lives interact with the lives of those around us in the world, they're lives of blessing and goodness and kindness. And God, we long to be people who are becoming more and more each day are faithful to you, God, lives that trust in you and are naturally directed towards you. God, we're here because we want to follow you. Uh, But God, we just know that we can't do that by ourselves. We have a part to play, but the bigger part is uh, your power at work within us. God, you show us in your word that we can pray that we might be transformed to be more like Jesus. So as we come to the end of this letter this morning, God, I pray for us. That by your spirit at work within us, we might be sanctified through and through. We might be transformed so that we might look more like Jesus. We depend more upon Jesus. We live more like Jesus. So Spirit of God, would you fall on us now and begin a work, begin an empowering that continues on for the days and the weeks and the years to come. Would you start to form in us the likeness of our Saviour, Jesus Christ? And we ask this in his name. Amen.